Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. I am, uh, I am excited to be here. Let me begin by uh, thanking God for the privilege of allowing me to be here and be with you tonight. Uh, hey, how you doing? I recognize him from my neighborhood, one of my son's friends. Good to see you, man. Um, uh, so let me thank God for uh, the privilege of being here. I want to thank uh, your pastor, Ed Taylor, for uh, allowing me to be here. Um, he calls me every time about this time of year and asks me to come and teach. And usually he sends me uh, very tantalizing pictures from someplace that has in and out Burger. And so he usually send these, sends these to my email and <clears throat> my social media sites, and he hasn't done that this year, uh, but I found myself praying today uh, that he would not choke on a pickle. Uh, I was praying that very sincerely, very earnestly, that he would not choke on a pickle for uh, two seconds. So Ed, if you're listening somewhere, just know that I was praying for you today that you would not, I say again, not choke on a pickle. So uh, God bless you, man. Thanks for having us. Uh, let's pray as we get ready to look at God's word tonight. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we come before you tonight. And I pray now that you would open our eyes so that we may see your words. Uh, help us not to miss the periods and the commas and the question marks. Uh, for they bear on interpretation. I pray that you'd open our ears that we may hear what it is that the Spirit says unto the church tonight. I pray that you'd open our spirit uh, so that we may live out the true meaning of the fact that God is a spirit and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Open our hearts that your word may be written upon the tablets of our heart that we may not sin against it. And then I pray, Lord, that you change our will and our volition, that we may have the courage to live what we learn tonight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and we all say it together. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the New Testament epistle of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans. chapter 6. Thank you, my friend. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to apologize in advance for the sound of my voice. Uh, I have been suffering with allergies. And so uh, I've been praying all day that God would just give me the strength to uh, get through it. And, and I would ask that you pray with me. Um, Romans chapter 6, and I want to try to deal with uh, verses 1 through 10 or so, and so if you'll just hold your place there. Uh, let me begin by saying, as we come off of the heels of resurrection or what the world calls Easter, uh, this is a very personal passage, personal message for me. And when I say personal, I mean it's had a great deal of impact on my life, these verses that we're going to read here in just a moment. Uh, because for a long time, even after coming to know the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, I did not know what it meant necessarily 
to walk in a personal, active, fruitful, alive relationship with God. And I'll talk more about this in just a moment, but salvation was something uh, to me that I, and I probably couldn't articulate this at the time, but as I look back on it and assess it now, salvation was something to me uh, that had been given to me as opposed to something that was transforming me. And so I saw it as a gift of God that was given to me, but I did not and, and was not discipled well enough to know that it wasn't just a gift given to me, but it was a gift intended to transform every part of my life. And so my conviction uh, in this season, as we come off the eve of celebration of resurrection, or excuse me, as we come off of the heels of the celebration of resurrection, my conviction has been, I didn't want to just stop this year teaching about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But I wanted to go a step further this year and ask the question and really challenge us in the body of Christ to say, now that we have been buried and raised anew with Christ, what are the practical implications for the resurrection in our everyday life? How do we live and exist and move and worship and preach and work and teach and go to the store and be a husband and be a wife and be a parent? How do we do all of those things in the power of the resurrection? Because the resurrection was not just about Christ conquering death and hell in the grave. It certainly, most certainly was about that, but it wasn't only about that. What are the implications and the, and the realized power of the resurrection in our life, our everyday life? And that's what I want to deal with tonight. If you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6, uh, and we will walk through this. I'll read just a few verses and then uh, we'll begin to dive in. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And that's a rhetorical question that Paul answers in verse 2. He says, certainly not. This is very, very strong uh, language in the Greek. This is like uh, an absurdity. I mean, it's unthinkable that we would do this, right? He goes on to say, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized or immersed into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Let me read that last part again. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Of life. 
Let me just pause right there, and, and I think we've got enough to dive in and get started. So we do a great job talking about the crucifixion. We do a great job talking about the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. But I think we do a poor job talking about the implications that the resurrection has on our life as believers. Salvation, as you well know, is by definition to be crucified with Christ. And as a result of grace and faith, we are called then from an unregenerate state to a state of being regenerated or regeneration or saved from darkness to light, from death to life. And then practically, we testify of this publicly through the ordinance or the tradition or the ritual of water baptism. And water baptism signifies that we've been identified with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So in death, I kill my old man. In burial, I do away with the old man. But what about the resurrection? What does it mean to walk in the power of the resurrection? And as we attempt to answer that question at best, at best, I think we give a minimalist answer. Jesus got up that he might conquer death and the grave, that one day we'll be able to live with him eternally. And while that's true, I believe it is woefully incomplete because we fail to help people understand eternity begins right now. Eternal life begins right now. If eternal life has not begun, then by definition, it is not eternal. And it's eternal life, not the eternal gift. The resurrection has implications not only for when we die, but also how we live. But oftentimes, we as Christians, when we talk about the resurrection, it sounds like we're recounting a, a UFC fight. You know, and we talk about how Jesus conquered death and Jesus put a chokehold on the grave and he took the sting out of death, so on and so forth. And then we get up and we leave the arena, having witnessed a good fight, all the while not understanding that if we really believe the outcome of that fight is our one and only means to salvation, then it's not about just bearing witness to what happened in the ring, but it's about getting in the ring and being a part of the fight. If you're with me, say amen. amen. So being a Christian, as John MacArthur said, is not about getting something new, it's about becoming someone new. It's not about getting something new, it's about becoming someone new. And I think this topic is vitally important and our failure to address what the resurrected life looks like leaves many Christians and would-be Christians with unanswered questions. And here's where we begin to dive into the text tonight. And I believe the biggest question that I wrestled with for so long and that I would guess some of you in here have wrestled with or are wrestling with is this. 
if I died with Christ on Friday, metaphorically speaking, if I was crucified with Christ on crucifixion Friday, why does the guy that I killed on Friday keep showing up on Sunday afternoon? Why does my old man manifest himself more often than it would be popular to talk about in settings like this? Why do words still come out of my mouth that are not godly? Why do thoughts still go through my mind that are not godly? Why do actions still manifest themselves in my life that are more representative of the old man from Thursday than they are of the new man who got up on Sunday? And I think this unanswered question leaves many people wondering, am I really, am I really his? Am I really saved? Have I really been born again? And I think we've got to biblically get that question into a framework that takes the sting out of the lie that the devil would have us to believe. I think we've got to speak the truth of God's Word to that spiritual insecurity that I dare say many of us feel. Now, if I'm not the only one in the house that's ever felt that tonight, just give me an amen if you've ever felt that anywhere in your life. So I'm not the only one. So how do we frame this in a biblical perspective? Well, let's step into the text and begin to deal with it in verses one through three. So we'll get there, but just walk with me for just a moment, and we've got to agree on a very fundamental point. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So the first thing that we have to agree on is this. Sin does not, will not, cannot define the regenerate man. If we are Christians, sin and the practice of it and the lifestyle of it can no longer be our most defining characteristic. Charles Hodge said this, quote, there can be no participation in Christ's life without participation in his death and we cannot enjoy the benefits of his death unless we are partakers of the power of his life. And he goes on to say this, we must be reconciled to God in order to be holy, and we cannot be reconciled without becoming holy. So let me clarify that based on the text that we've just read. We don't continue in sin because Christ died for our sins. Why not? Because we died to sin. That's what the crucifixion was all about. And we'll see that in just a few more verses. The crucifixion was about dying to the power of sin and coming alive to God. And as Christ conquered sin on the cross, he has given us the power to conquer the reigning power of sin in our life. That's a good place to say amen. As Jesus conquered sin on the cross, 
He has given us the power to conquer sin's reign in our life. Now, I know the question that's burning in all of our minds. If so, why do I still sin? We'll get there in just a moment. But for now, let's just agree on this. You cannot be dead and alive at the same time. We cannot have killed the old man and that old man still be alive at the same time. So where does that take us to? It takes us to this conclusion as a minimum. Sin has to repulse the Christian. Now, this is important because it challenges the idea that we can live without restraint because we are saved. Uh, You've heard of the doctrine of the security of believer, or you've probably heard it said this way, once saved, always saved. Well, some people take that to an extreme, and they say, now that I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do. And just the opposite is true. If we are saved, we have killed the old man and we have been raised anew. Sin cannot reign in the life of a believer. Now stay with me. Here's the second thing I want us to see. Look in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So this idea of being baptized means to be immersed. That's why we immerse people when we baptize them with water. It's this idea that we've completely buried the old man and we have come alive in Christ Jesus. And here's where we start to get to the meat of what I want to talk about. Salvation is more than just a single event that happened. You hear people say this all the time. I got saved or I got born again. It's more than just an event, but it has implications for how we lived. What happened at that church the day you got saved has implications for how you now live on your job a decade later. Wherever it happened, Whenever it happened, it has implications for all times, and it now begins to inform every aspect of our life. Why is this important? Because there are some Christians who believe you can segment your life. Salvation is for church or church people, and then I've got a segment where I put my politics, and then I've got a segment where I put my sociology, and then I've got a segment where I put my ecclesiology, and so on and so forth, philosophy, and so on and so forth, as opposed to salvation and our life with Christ being in the center of our being and informing every aspect of our life. And that's what Paul's get, Paul gets to in verse 4 when he says, that we now have to walk in the newness of life. So why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because although we're well informed about this uh, in our theology and in our philosophy, it's easier to preach and sing than it is to live. Where the rubber meets the road, and real life begins to happen, now we've got to deal with real life issues, wayward children, prodigal children, 
Now we've got to deal with real life emotions, anger, fear, frustration, insecurity. Now we've got to deal with real life problems, marriage, money, job, et cetera, et cetera. And if we're not careful, all of those things have the potential to begin to uh, cause the old person to rise up and the new person to take a back seat. And here's what I believe, and here's what I believe that I witness. Uh, most people live in this middle zone between who they are and who they were. If the truth be told, I think we do life in the tension of two very real realities, and that is this. I am a Christian, so I should not sin, and I am a human, so I inevitably will. And this conversation is important because Satan uses the tension of those two realities to sideline us and make us ineffective. And I came tonight, and I think, and I think one of the things that God wants to do is get it in perspective. So how do we reconcile this from a biblical perspective? Let's keep reading. Look at verse five. If we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and the body, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Let me stop right there. Jesus manifested himself as a different person after the resurrection than he was before the crucifixion. Now understand, I'm not saying that Jesus changed I'm saying he manifested himself differently. He always was the God-man. But before the crucifixion, we saw more man. After the crucifixion, we saw more God. Before the crucifixion, he walked through doors. He opened them. After the crucifixion, he just showed up in the room. On the one hand, we saw more of his humanity after the resurrection, we saw more of his divinity. I think our lives have a responsibility to model in the same way. Before we were in Christ, sin reigned and ruled in our life. And we saw glimmers of righteousness. After we've been crucified with Christ and resurrected, Righteousness now reigns in our life, and we see glimmers of the old man. Now, I want to challenge us, and only you and God can answer this question about you. Which is more prevalent in your walk right now? The old man or the new man? Is salvation or being born again 
an event that happened one time in your life? Or is it a process of continuous transformation? Which one are you feeding? Who you used to be or who you are now? Herein lies the fallacy of our incomplete teaching. We teach salvation as an attachment rather than a transformation or a replacement. And I believe this is vitally important because we leave baby Christians or we leave would-be Christians with an incomplete Easter story. Let me give you some of the beauty of walking in the power of the resurrection. Did you know that when you're alive in Christ, he'll give you the power to conquer temptation? 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 assures us of this. Did you know that the new life in Christ, he removes condemnation? In Christ, we experience conviction. Outside of Christ, we experience condemnation. Condemnation says you're not worthy, Christ does not love you. Conviction says if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Did you know in Christ we're now God's friend, Christ's friend, and no longer his slave? In Christ, we now have direct access to God. When he died and the veil of the temple was rent in two, now we can come into the presence of God rather than having to access him through a priestly mediator. And so if we know that and if we understand that, why do we so often find ourselves believing the lies of the enemy? about who we now are. Why do we so often find ourselves walking in less than the full power of the resurrection? And when I say that, I'm not talking about the good life as the world defines it. I'm not talking about money and fame and fortune. I'm talking about things that money cannot buy. I know people who have enough money to buy enough medication to go to sleep, but still don't get rest. I know people who can pay for the finest of health care, but still can't settle their mind and their spirit, and even sometimes their bodies, because we don't embrace the fullness of who we now are in Jesus. So let me just ask you tonight as as I begin to try and bring this to a close. Do you embrace the fullness of who you now are in Christ or do you still believe the whispers of the enemy? And the answer to the question that we all have, why does the guy from Thursday keep showing up on Sunday afternoon and Monday is this. Because we're still working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are not yet fully 
who we shall be in our humanity. The Hebrew writer says it this way, we have been perfected and we are being sanctified. In other words, I'm walking out my history on my way to my eternal destiny. In God's eyes, I already am who I shall be. But from a human perspective, I've got to wrestle with the flesh until one day all of creation and humanity and the earth and the world shall be fully redeemed. But in the meantime, I've got to live in the tension of these two realities. Are you in the house with me tonight? If you're with me still, say amen. Amen. I'm almost done. I know you're tired of listening to this raspy voice. God bless you. Thank you. I got one witness on the left. I'm taking you back to DCBC with me. You're going back with me. Amen. We've got to walk and live in the tension of these two realities. Romans 8, most people know Romans 8 and 28, but very few people know Romans 8 and 29 that says this, for whom the Lord foreknew he predestined and whom he, or whom he predestined he foreknew and whom he foreknew he called and those whom he called he justified and those whom he justified he glorified. In English and Greek, all of those attributes and verbs and characteristics show up in the past tense. So in God's eyes, we already are. But from the eyes of our humanity, we're still walking it out to get there. That's encouraging to me because so often I look in the mirror and I hear rather than conviction, condemnation. So often I hear, you're not worthy. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not worthy, but Christ died for the unworthy. God commended his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for my sins. So while I'm not unworthy is a truth, it is incomplete. But so often the voice of condemnation prevails over the voice of conviction. The voice of of my sinful nature prevails over the voice of my new nature. And then it doesn't help that those manifestations of sin come in my life. And now I'm not just dealing with the voices in my head, but I'm dealing with the realities of sin peeking through. And it adds fuel to an already blazing fire that's going on on the inside of me But Paul, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and I'm finished here, he offers us the assurance of this. When I would do good, evil is always present with me. So the things I want to do, I can't. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And then he says this, but it's not me. It's not who I really am. It's not the new me. It's the old me. Why? Because sin is a lingering shadow of who I used to be. But then he gives us this assurance in a great crescendo crescendo in chapter eight, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Not height, not depth, not things present, not things to come, 
not life, not death, not angels, not principalities shall be able to separate me from the love and consequently the security of God. And can I add one more thing? Not even your own self-talk will separate you from the love of God. Jesus says, Jesus says in John 17, he prays to the Father, and I love one version of Scripture. He says this, those whom you committed to my hands, I did not lose any. If you're in God's hands tonight, if you have been covered and redeemed by the power of Jesus' blood, if that's you tonight, guess what? You're safe and secure, and no one will ever pluck you out. No one will ever take you out of his hands. Not Not even the current manifestations of sin in your life right now. Now, I'm not trying to give us license to live in sin. Remember what he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. I'm not giving us license to live in sin. What I'm saying is we've got to live in the tension of these two realities and thank God for the blood of Jesus. Everything you need, you're looking for tonight. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, everything you need and you're looking for tonight is in the blood. I'll close with this. I wasn't feeling well recently, as I'm not uh, even in this moment, and I went to the hospital, and the first thing they do when you get to the emergency room is they, they take a needle the size of a broomstick, and they stick it in your vein the size of a straw, and the first thing they do is draw blood. And I was thinking about this, why are you drawing blood? You know, it's like no matter what you walk in the door for, they're drawing blood. You know, if your eye hurts, if your toe hurts, if your whatever, they're drawing blood, you know, to send it off to the lab and it's studied and it's looked at and there are different indicators in the blood and everything they need to know about you from uh, why you're in pain to if you're having a heart attack is found in the blood. And I begin to think about that. Leviticus 18 tells us that life is in the blood. And just like for us as humans, just like when you're in the emergency room and they're looking at your blood because everything is in the blood, the same is true in Jesus. Everything you need is in the blood of Jesus. New life, spiritual healing, new identity. Everything we need is in the blood. So my question tonight is, do you believe it? And is there someone here tonight as we open the doors of the church who says, that sounds good, but but you really don't know my story or you really don't know how bad I am. Let me tell you something. There is nothing beyond the redemption of Christ's blood There is nothing. It reaches to the highest mountain and goes to the lowest valley. And that's not just true physically and, and metaphorically as we think about mountains and valleys, but it's also true spiritually. However low we are now, there is new life in Jesus.
There's new life in Jesus. So I, I think the altar team is coming, if I remember correctly. And I want to ask you to stand on your feet tonight, wherever you are, as we pray <coughs> and extend the invitation. Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. Thank you tonight for, first of all, Lord, pointing us to the cross and then pointing us to resurrection ground to understand that the miracle of what you did on Calvary does not just begin when we die. It begins and has implications for our life right now. And there are many here tonight who know that, and I suspect that there may be a few who do not. And so I pray now, God, through the power and the move of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to hearts and minds, and that you would draw lost people unto you, dear God, that you would encourage Christians, uh, that you would reclaim the one who's backslidden tonight, that you would save the one who's never known you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.